What is up, wrestling fans? Welcome back to a brand spanking new episode of your favorite wrestling podcast. It is Ringside Rewind. I am, of course, one half of the greatest wrestling podcast tag team champions of the world. Chris Jardy, a.k.a. Snangle Jane, as always, with the hot tag, the best in the business, Mr. Chris Doyle. What's what's happening? Looks like we got a new look on the go there, Snaggle. Everything's looking mighty fine, mighty fine indeed. Yeah, listen, you uh, listen, you uh, you procured, as I'm so fond of saying, you procured us some new logo attire, which you can now see on all of our various social medias. And breaking news, Chris, you don't even know this, by the way. This is this just happened. Okay. Ringside Rewind is now on TikTok. Is it really? Yes, you can find us on TikTok at Ringside Rewind. Brand new, just happened. I was saving it. I didn't even want to tell you off air to get that genuine pop reaction. So have you already started doing the dances or are you climbing using milk curtains? Uh, I haven't decided yet. Again, we have to record this episode and then I'm going to decide after the best way to advance through... uh, you know, really, really carving out a niche for the old uh, Ringside Rewind TikTok account. All right, okay, that's uh, that sounds good. Tell you what, you'll be in charge of the milk crates. I'll be in charge of the thirst traps. How long before our truth is doing the milk crate challenge on Raw? Oh, uh, on Raw, probably six or eight months from now when uh, nobody cares anymore. <laughs> Uh, I do want to send a uh, shout out to the uh, young lady who did all of our new logo work. Uh, I found her on Fiverr, which is a great little app if, for, if you need like little odd jobs and things like that. Uh, done. Uh, it was Layla Malik. Layla Malik. Uh, she fr- she's from uh, Pakistan. She was wow. very easy to deal with. Very uh, quick on the communication and did some really great work, as you can check out. Uh, on our uh, album art, as well as our website, Twitter, Facebook, it's all over there. She did a great job. So if you're looking for some uh, graphic design work, you can find her on Fiverr. Yeah, great stuff, great stuff. You sent me uh, on Monday of last week, you sent me the, the the preview of it. And I was like, whoa, that's awesome. And then you're like, yeah, I'm going to get her to fix this and this. And I got the one of the final ones came in. I was extremely impressed. You know what else I'm extremely impressed by? How you continue to pick matches for episodes that absolutely get me tilted. Because, <laughs> because if you haven't already read through the title of the show, this week we are talking about the biggest Nitro, most likely, ever in the history of WCW. We are talking about the Nitro where... They uh, put the strap on Bill Goldberg when they had the the Hogan-Goldberg main event from the Georgia Dome. We're going to get into it. I have some very strong opinions about this one. Um, Do you have, are your opinions of the match itself or the lead up or the follow through? So here's the thing, right? I think a lot of people, when they talk about this match, they, they, they almost always talk about all the office stuff that went into it, right? 
the who was who suggested it why did they do it why didn't they do it on pay-per-view we're going to get into all that i i remember all of that stuff very vividly and i mean it's come up you know eric bischoff seemingly talks about it on 83 weeks once a month um somebody will ask him a question about you know the, the hogan goldberg nitro and whose idea it was and you know i think we're going to get into some of the stuff that he said about it when we when we do the lead-in but I also have some strong opinions about the match itself, which I think a lot of people tend to forget. They remember the last 14 seconds of it, um, whereas the thing was nine minutes long and it was just a whole bunch of horse crap. The whole thing was just... Anyway, if you if you want to take a look at it first, I suggest fire up your WWE Network, go to Nitro. It's July 6th, 1998. From the Georgia Dome, um, the attendance was, you know, roughly 40K. I think they announced the attendance at 39. According to the wonderfully written show notes I have in front of me, uh, the attendance for this NERTO was announced at 39,919, but the actual attendance was 41,412, which in the Georgia Dome in wrestling configuration is a sellout. So first off, my co-host has just thrown me under the bus. I have because in our show notes, uh, I did those earlier today, and uh, <laughs> at one point I spelled nitro nurto. Uh, and where we do the show notes, there's no uh, autocorrect, so I didn't get the little red line because I need that little red line sometimes. Uh, so yeah, there you go, it's it's just been saved. Congratulations! <laughs> Here's uh, the I'll, thing, Here, to be fair. That is some pretty interesting foreshadowing for what this episode of Nitro was, which was, in for all intents and purposes, one big giant mistake. The big, the biggest night, and maybe the start of the downfall of WCW. I uh, yeah yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that a lot later yeah. in the episode. A little uh, note about the attendance. Uh, as W as WCW goes. They announced a lower attendance than there actually was. Uh, um, they announced 39,919 on the show. The sellout actually was 41,412. Uh, Melter said in the uh, Observer around that time that they had actually uh, sent people away who were looking for tickets close to showtime. So it was an actual setup sellout. Of course, with stuff stricken for TV and cameras and set and stuff like that. Makes sense. So let's talk about Goldberg. Oh, do we have to? Well, this is back before we were all tired of him. That's true. Uh, July 6, 1998. Well, that's less than a year from Goldberg's debut on uh, September 22nd, 1997, defeating Hugh Morris. Uh, after being trained at the WCW power plant, of course, he had been a University of Georgia Bulldog and an Atlanta Falcon before uh, retiring from football due to an injury. He immediately goes on a winning streak that had him defeat opponents in one to two minutes with a spear and a jackhammer suplex. He won the United States title, defeating Raven on Nitro and defended that United States title leading up to the Georgia Dome in July 6th. Uh, 1998. Now, where were you in WCW fandom around this time? Pretty high. 
Um, I think it's safe to say that this is kind of the height of, um, you know, this is kind of like not maybe not the height of the Monday Night Wars, but WCW at this point is pretty much the hottest thing going. Um, this was definitely for me very, 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 very high. Uh, in terms of my interest and intrigue and attachment to pro wrestling, for sure. Um, I think it was uh, at a time where Goldberg was just, for what he did, for the, the little bit they actually used him, it was amazingly intriguing. You couldn't help but want to see him come out and squash somebody in a minute and 40 seconds like he did every single Monday and every single Thursday. And, you know, it's one of those things where there's some great stuff going on on the other channel as well. Like, this isn't like, you know, at this point, right, we're in the, we're in the, the 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 heyday of the 83-week fiasco. But, you know, Rob was still putting together some, some relatively interesting stuff. I mean, you had, this was in the middle of the Undertaker-Mankind uh, feud, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, was this was just this after, this was just after the infamous Hell in a Cell. Yeah, and and on the the taped episode of Raw that they ran against this, because the episode of Raw that runs against this um, George Dome Nitro was taped on the 30th of June, um, has The Undertaker and Mankind in the main event uh, for, uh, is the number one contenders match for the uh, heavyweight championship. So, you know, pretty good main event on the other side as well. So there's lots of fun things going on, right? You know, we're still, um, you know, WCW is littered with old WWF guys at this point. Um, But, I mean, this was must-watch. You know, as we're going to talk about when we get into this, I mean, WCW at this point had mainstream appeal outside of the sphere of wrestling. Um, it was just, it, you always wanted to see what the NWO was going to do. Uh, you know, we're in the height of the, the Wolfpack split as well. Um, so, you know, we've got, we've got the, the black and white and we've got the black and red and they're all kind of doing their thing. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just, a, it's just a great time in pro wrestling. Well, they're only a couple of days away from Bash at the Beach, which had the, uh, Carl Malone, DDP versus Hogan Rodman match, which really for mainstream appeal, I would say would probably be the best WCW ever got maybe. Yeah. And I I mean, that was a Rodman debacle. Yeah. And I mean, you're, you're you're a week after. Yeah. And, and this, this nitro is a week or two after Carl Malone body slammed Hulk Hogan in the middle of the ring on nitro. To a, which was just, you know, bringing in an uh, outside guy and letting him, you know, take out your champion. Like, here's the thing. For all of the things that people have said bad about Hogan's politics over the years, 
he knew how to make money. Mm-hmm. And he knew that Carl Malone and Dennis Rodman being involved in storylines were money. And I'll, I've never been a big fan of that garbage. Because, you know, it always goes back to Lawrence Taylor, Bam Bam Bigelow, right? A WrestleMania main event between Lawrence Taylor and Bam Bam Bigelow. Really? Really? Like, I get it. You know, we've seen, like, you think back to, you know, just a few months ago, right? Bad Bunny actually was was a great, it was a great celebrity appearance. Bad Bunny, I think, is the A-plus standard. Yeah, because he did really well. It was a very athletic match. He yeah. got over you, young guy. Yeah. Like Damian Priest is still kind of going on the momentum that he received, even though they're trying to beat it out of him. Yeah. I watched what did I? Um, the last pay per view, SummerSlam, I guess it was. Yeah, I watched that on Monday, and again, we're not going to talk about a lot of recent stuff but i watched that show and what an absolute dog crap of a show yeah yeah that's one that when we when we uh five years from now when we're still doing this and we're on like episode you know 190 or something like that we're gonna do SummerSlam 2021 as one of those uh weeks where we do a bad episode of something because it was absolutely atrocious there was nothing redeemable about it but yeah like with the celebrity stuff, I don't typically enjoy it. And again, right, you're in this period of time, you know, where wrestling is as popular as it's ever been. Um, and you're just trying to do whatever you can to, to break even further. Because at this point, your wrestling fans are split, you know, between WCW and WWE. And the thing is, a lot of people were watching both because there was a lot of crossover appeal. So what you do at that point is you try to branch outside of wrestling fans. And WWE had already six months prior done the same thing with Mike Tyson, right? Yeah. Mike Tyson comes out in January as the special enforcer of the main event of WrestleMania between Stone Cold Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels. He wasn't, you know, involved as an active participant like Carl Malone and Dennis Rodman are here. But was physical. Again, a great guy to put in the ring with Stone Cold Steve Austin. My God, that just, at that time, that literally just is money, right? So you know, this is WCW saying, hey, listen, we're hot. We're cool. We're fun. Let's, let's try this. I think the, the thing that makes this even more puzzling is you're six days away from that main event. Six days away from a pay-per-view that is going to be headlined by DDP and Carl Malone against your world champion Hollywood Hulk Hogan and uh, Dennis Rodman. And then you have this Nitro six days before, which, again, I'm already getting heated 
because there is nothing about this Nitro that makes sense or that I like. It has no redeemable qualities. I think it was completely bungled. I think it was a horrible idea. I don't care whose idea it was. It was a bad idea, and I'm going to pick this thing apart for the rest of this episode. So let's get into that then. The stories do differ as to whose idea was the Hogan-Goldberg match. Reportedly, at first, it was scheduled to be non-title dark match in the home arena for WCW. as Because it was in Atlanta, they wanted to show the corporate parents of WCW. This was kind of in the middle of the AOL Time Warner merger. Goldberg says he learned about the match was going to be on TV by watching Thunder with storyline president of WCW, J.J. Dillon, announcing the match for the following Monday. Booker, Kevin Sullivan, Booker Man, said the decision was made by the corporate side of the business. They were merging into AOL and wanted to have a show and tell, so those people from the corporate side were in with AOL and were looking to see if they would buy. They brought them to the wrestling, saw a building full, and knew they had a winner. When they did buy it, they wanted to get rid of it. This was supposed to be on a pay-per-view. Sullivan remembers J.J. coming to him at TV and saying, we're going to announce next week Hogan Goldberg is going to be on TV, coming directly from corporate. It was a corporate decision that left a lot of money on the table. It would have been a huge pay-per-view. They would have paid money, would have seen a clean finish. They would have been salivating for the next one when Bill defended against any of the top NWO members. A rematch with Hogan, a match with Kevin, a match with Scott, go down the line. A match with Scott Steiner. Imagine the poster. Scott Steiner against Goldberg. Sell out any building. What does that poster look like? You could have gone down the line, had a hell of a six-month run, without doing any cute finishes straight in the middle. They blew a big year. Kevin Sullivan is the guy who doesn't get as much credit as he should for his mind. He is a genius. Kevin Nash tells the story of coming to Nitro the day after WrestleMania. And uh, Nash gets told by Sullivan, we're not on the Titanic bra, but the water's getting awful cold. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Real life WC. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think the problem, I've always been a big fan of, I think, Kevin Sullivan has been vilified by a lot of people who were involved in WCW. And I think that's just because a lot of things that that he booked that were great ideas, other people wish they could take credit for. And as we've seen in the 20 years since WCW's demise, everybody wants to take credit for all the good stuff and nobody wants to take credit for any of the bad crap. And again, right You've got the guy who was booking at the time who was probably the most instrumental person in getting Goldberg to here and literally just saying, listen, he's going to go out. We're going to use him five minutes a week. Three minutes of that's going to be his intro. Two minutes of it's going to be in the ring. And that's it. That's what we're doing with him. And they built him into this monster. So you've got one guy, the guy who's doing the booking, saying, I was told by J.J. Dillon that corporate said, we're doing this. Now, please remind me what Mr. Bischoff said. Uh, Mr. Bischoff, who at the time was the real-life WCW president, I believe another one of his titles was executive producer, uh, said it was never scheduled as a dark match. It was all Hogan's idea to put over Goldberg on TV for the title. 
Uh, before we get the match in the ring, Hogan does an interview saying that Goldberg will have to face an NWO stablemate from the NWO Black and White, that being a returning Scott Hall. But Eric Bischoff says this was never a dark match and it was all Hogan's idea. Okay. And Hogan had creative control. So, and, and that's exactly why what Bischoff says here is complete BS. Nothing, Hogan, Hogan was famous. You've heard it a million times since then. That doesn't work for me, brother. There is no way, with everything you know about Hulk Hogan, everything you know about what's come out about him, about his days in WWF, about his days in WCW, about his second run in WWF, about everything he did in TNA, this is not Hulk Hogan's MO to have a match that's going to be the main event in front of 40,000 people and only to announce it three days before. That is, Hogan is not, listen, Hogan is a lot of things, a lot of negative words that I'm going to choose not to use. But when it comes to business, he's not an idiot. He knows how to make himself money. There is no way absolutely zero percent no chance no way this was hogan's idea maybe maybe it was something that he pitched but announcing it four days before that it's going to be in the george dome as the main event not on a pay-per-view no build no nothing no whatever drop the title that does not in any way fit Hulk Hogan's M.O. at all. At that late hour, I'm not even sure if they would have been able, and I could be I'll, I could be wrong here, but I'm not even sure they would have been able to make the changes to definitely not the syndicated shows over the weekend, and maybe not even Saturday night. Now, Saturday night by this point is... Jimmy Hart's jobber show. Right. Nobody gets on the Saturday night show at this point. Yeah. But, and so maybe Hogan says, because the thought has always been, I'll put Goldberg over in the dark in front of all the AOL Time Warner executives because that'll make me look good. Right. And then there was some thought as well Hogan's going to lose and leave for a while because there was some event coming up or something along those lines where it was expected that ratings were going to go down for a month or so. Uh, 98, what would have been a 98? Was was that an Olympic year? It was an Olympic year, yes. Okay, so ratings um, would come. Might have been winter, though? Thinking. Nagano was in 98, so it would have been winter. So it would have been winter. But there was some event coming up where they were figuring ratings were going to go down. Hogan there was, was an go- election in 98, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so, so that would have been in the fall. So that would have been in November, right? That was uh, yes, when because he, Bill Clinton got elected for the second time. Yes, because that was part of the whole finger poke of doom thing later on in the year. Yeah. Remember Hogan was going to run yep, for president? That's right. Yep. That's all. Yes. Um, but he was going to leave for a while and then come back when the ratings started to go up. 
because then it's, well, the ratings are up because Hogan's back, which was one of yeah. his grand, he would go and film three ninjas, 14 ninjaing again and yeah. to come back. And then at some point when the NFL season was over, the NBA was doing something or whatever, the ratings would go up. And of course the ratings go up because it's all Hogan's fault slash reason they went up. Yeah. So, I mean, here's the thing, right? L let me ask you a question, because I feel like we might have some differing opinions on this, which is great. But let me ask you a question. In this, in the way this was done, announcing it on Thunder, keeping in mind, by the way, that J.J. Dillon came out on Thunder and said they had already sold 35,000 tickets. So by all stretch of the imagination, it's going to be a massive show with a massive gate before you've ever announced Hogan Goldberg in the main event. Who benefits the most from what transpired? Because it's not Hogan. No. Because now Hogan's going into... Because here's the thing. Remember, right? This is your go-home Nitro. You're trying to sell Carl Malone, DDP against Hogan and Rodman. Now, Rodman's nowhere to be found, right? Rodman isn't anywhere. Right. Um, DDP and Carl Malone cut a promo. We're going to go through the nitro in a little bit, but DDP and Carl Malone cut a promo. The show actually starts with a, 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 like a Carl Malone video package showing him slamming Hogan and talking about, you know, Bill, literally the whole video package. Had, there's no mention of Bill Goldberg in the opening package. The whole focus. It's on the main event of the pay-per-view, which they're trying to sell. So it doesn't benefit Hogan to lose the title to someone who's not involved in that main event. It doesn't benefit the main event itself. It doesn't benefit the pay-per-view at all, because now you've weakened the main event. Well, no, because Goldberg went on to defend the title at Bash at the Beach against... Kurt Henning. Yes. Because Kurt Henning came down. Well, and again, we'll, we'll get into this later, but Kurt Henning has involvement in the main event of this Nitro. And then he goes on to squash Kurt Henning in two minutes and something at, in not the main event of the pay-per-view. It, like so really, it wasn't even, a, it was like a mid-card, like. Yeah. Yeah. So, so back to my question, right? Who benefits from this? The only people that would benefit from this are front office people with a bigger rating share um so their advertisers would benefit if they're trying to sell the company it makes it look good but like in terms of the promotion there was absolutely nobody who benefit from doing this nobody yeah it's kind of like the um the ratings we're i think we're past the 83 weeks at this point where things are kind of going back and forth and the week before raw had won so we were kind of getting into a bit of a fight again and Bischoff needed a win. What's especially with the Turner AOL time Warner executives in the building. Right. We're going to have this big show in the big dome and we're going to shoot off a lot of fireworks. And then the next day the ratings are going to come in and I'm going to look like a genius. Right. Um, Eric, 
I, I don't listen to the podcast anymore simply because I don't listen to a lot of Conrad stuff. Um, simply for time reasons. I don't have time to yeah. do three-hour shows with 14 ads per show for Manscaped and Roman and whatever else he's selling these days. But Eric has a really bad memory and has the thought process that nothing was ever his fault because he just ran TV. He didn't have any uh, creative until something good happened. And then he was involved in the creative. Yeah. You know, it seems to be whoever's, whoever's bad ideas were in WCW happens to be the last WCW back, back office guy who is no longer with us. Yeah. Oh yeah. Eric, listen, I, I love 83 weeks. I listen, I don't listen to it as much as I used to. Um, that's just a, you know, the kind of a figment of where I'm at, you know, professionally now. I don't have as much time for podcasts and stuff, but I listened to it pretty religiously up until about a year ago. And he always has a Rolodex of people that, that may have been involved and, and this and that. And the biggest thing to me is when you look at this, and again, we have the glory of looking back on this 23 years later with the hindsight that we have and knowing how it ended. And a lot of people point to, that night in 1999 when they gave away Mankind was going to win the world title and everybody clicked over as like the beginning of the end. But to me, this is the beginning of the end right here. Well, this because is the start of the down. This, because yeah. this is such a bungled... And in reality, it doesn't matter whose fault it is. If it was a front office thing, if it was a Hogan thing, if it was a Bischoff thing, if it was a Booker thing, if it was a J.J. Dillon thing, it really doesn't matter. There was nothing to be gained by doing this. You're literally giving away the moment that every one of your fans has been waiting for, which was, you know... um, Bill Goldberg finally dethroning Hulk Hogan and becoming, you know, as um, Bobby Heenan says, you know, the first undefeated man in the history of our sport to win the world title. Yeah. You were giving that away for free. On regular TV, with no build, six days before a pay-per-view where Goldberg isn't even a factor for the main event, and you're you're running a tag team match. Which, by the way, the next pay-per-view after Bash at the Beach was another celebrity-filled match with DDP and Jay Leno accompanied to the ring by Kevin Eubanks. Was that the same year? It was a month later. It was literally the next month. August 8, 1998. It was literally four weeks after Bash at the Beach was Road Wild, which was DDP and Jay Leno against Hogan and Bischoff in the main event. Wow, I Mendeled that to Bash at the Beach the next year. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize, wow. So in reality, right, 
again, I, I don't like to play fantasy booker, but here's the thing. You're going to do well at this Georgia Dome. The, the whole card completely sucked from start to finish. It was a horrendous Nitro. There was nothing redeeming about it. Um, you've got your your tag team match set for Bash at the Beach. You've probably already got Jay Leno lined up for Road Wild, right? Oh, so, for sure, because Bischoff has already, he's done that one week of the Tonight Show parody on Nitro yeah. already. So here's the thing. Your next pay-per-view after that is Fall Brawl, where they did the war games, right? Where they did WCW against NWO Hollywood against NWO Wolfpack. That's where you start the Goldberg-Hogan build. That is where you have Goldberg be a, like a reluctant member of Team WCW, right? Getting into... Again, this is that moment. This is... Hogan Warrior in the Royal Rumble before WrestleMania 6. I was just you're, about to say right? that. Right? Yeah. You're in the war games, and it comes down to Goldberg and Hogan. Because then you can put Goldberg over with no title involved, right? Mm -hmm. Just They win the war games, which WCW won anyway. And then you have that WrestleMania six moment, which, by the way, funny enough, the Warrior was in that War Games match. <laughs> but but that's the thing. Like again, so you, that's only in September. It's literally two months later. You have that moment in the War Games. Goldberg and Hogan come face to face in the ring for the first time. The the roof. Blows off the place, and then you're off to the races with Goldberg Hogan. Hogan can throw obstacles in front of Goldberg. He can throw Hall in front of him on a Nitro. He can throw, you know, a, another team, Hollywood. He can throw the Disciple, whatever. Holy dying. Relax back there, you two. Dude, See, crazy. even, even they're the getting wound up. They don't like us. They're not having it. But, like, again, then you've got. You're next, you're away from the finger poke of doom, then you're not worried about that. And then when you get to what, what's usually in December? Starcade? Starcade, and that's there, that was traditionally WCW's marquee event. So then you have your big blow off. So Starcade was December 27th, 1998, in front of 16,000 people in DC. You get a bigger arena, right? And by the way, let's just point out here, Starcade in 1998 was for Kevin Nash won with the cattle prod. Yeah. So, so, in, so instead of that, that's where you put Goldberg over for the world title. At you don't even need the bigger building. No. No, because really? you, you don't want, you want people in the yeah. building, but you want people at home paying that $34.95. That's right. You for the paper. They took the biggest moment that WCW fans were anticipating and you just gave it to them. You threw it out with the bathwater. Like you really did. You just said, okay, well, we'll give them what they want with no thought, no build, no payoff, no overcoming anything for Goldberg. Literally, you just went to Georgia and said, here's the world title. Now, what the hell are we going to do? Yeah. Like, and again, this whole show, I mean, let's run through the card. That happened on the show real quick, right? Okay, well, be, before we do that, okay, I did a kind of a short in my head math kind of deal. Okay, this All was right. a three-hour television show. Yeah, 
there was, I think I counted roughly maybe about 31 minutes of wrestling. Roughly four, six. Yeah, like, so in three hours, yeah. so 60, 180 minutes, you yeah. take away 15 minutes an hour for commercials. Yeah, there was 43 minutes of um, dead time that's taken off the network version. The yeah. network version is uh, two hours and 17 minutes, so that's 137 minutes long. Yeah, and so and let's. I think it was like 31 minutes. And you're going to see as we go through these matches, they go through these things quickly yeah um, we're gonna start with um the first match of the night it's booker t uh defeating uh, dean malenko to retain the world television championship uh that was in three minutes and 42 seconds dean malenko isn't even sweating yet at three minutes and 42 seconds <laughs> i do like that going to booker t here i mean this is kind of where booker t you know he, he's on his own doing the singles thing now you know, kind of going up the ladder of, of WCW. So it was nice. But my thing is, right, what we're going to see the theme as we go through here with all these two, three, four-minute matches, again, this is a 40,000-person crowd. Give them something to get out of their seat about other than an eight-minute main event. Like, could you imagine being there and sitting through all this hot garbage no. just to get to Goldberg and Hogan? Like, give them... Give them you know, Jericho and Malenko for 20 minutes of just great wrestling. I mean, again, not slating Malenko or Booker T, but, you know, they don't match up particularly well. They're in the opening match with a giant crowd. It goes less than four minutes. Nobody's into it at all. It's just eh. And this was an eh match. Uh, next up was Hobana! Canyon. He uh, went against Raven. Raven had Lodi with him, and that ended. That ends in a no contest in two minutes and fifteen seconds. Why bother? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Um, Again, keep in mind this is the go home nitro for a forty dollar pay per view that they want you to buy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott Putsky defeated Scotty Riggs in four minutes and thirteen seconds. I didn't know Scott Putsky won a match in the 90s. I didn't think he did either. That's actually maybe breaking news. Yeah. Uh, One that was probably pretty good if they had gotten some time. It was Chris Jericho defeating the Ultimo Dragon uh, by disqualification to uh, retain the WCW World Cruiserweight Championship in two minutes and 14 seconds. I'm going to guess Sonny Ono probably had something to do with that. Yeah, this is building, I think, more um, in towards the Jericho Malenko storyline, right? J.J. Dillon's kind of involved here. Yeah. Um, again, why not let... These guys have great chemistry. Let them go 12, 13, 14 minutes and get the crowd into the, into the, into the event. Let them have a 15-minute a spot fest that ends... Like, you can still end it in a DQ... Again, Jericho's a sniveling heel at this point. You can still end it in a DQ, but why not have it so, like, Ultimo's got him on the ropes after 15 minutes of great action? And, like, then the crowd's into it. And then you still do the DQ finish, so now the crowd who's up because of a great match is super heated. You get more heat on Jericho. 
But no, you do it in two minutes and 14 seconds. So everybody goes, by the time they stretch their legs, we're on to Jabo Guerrero Jr. and Johnny Swinger. But you know what the best part? I like I see Johnny Swinger now. I don't think WCW. I think current day TNA. Yeah. Or Impact, I guess. Was, is yes, yes, that's right. In the undead realm and wrestler's house and... I don't watch a lot of impact, but some of the things I catch, I just go, okay, that seems kind of like I'm a big Rosemary fan. And I thought decay was really good. Christian cage is their world champion. Christian cage is their world champion again. So we'll see what happens. And apparently rumor has it that they want, uh, the artist formerly known as Braun Strowman and, uh, buddy Matthews. Who was Buddy Murphy? Right, and they're well, making a they're making a play for Bray Wyatt too. Well, there you go. Get those. Get get. Uh, I somewhat enjoy Impact. I like to see. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. I more so enjoy NWA at this point because just because I enjoy the old schoolness of NWA. Um, as opposed, but uh, but again, you know, my love of NWA kind of sort of died with the pandemic when they literally just shut everything down. You, we made both like uh, the new AEW Dark then, because yeah. apparently they're going to start taping studio shows for Dark in the old Impact Zone. Well, there you go. So, uh, up next, uh, the Public Enemy, Johnny Grunge and Rocco Rock defeated Alex Wright and Disco Inferno, this match, with the exception of the two main events Goldberg was involved with, is the longest match of the night at five minutes and one second. That's, I mean, not including the main event, by the way, but... Yeah, the not main including event was, the Goldberg matches, because... Yes, that's right. Both Goldberg matches go longer, but, yes, at five minutes and one second, the longest non-Goldberg, like, I don't, like... Uh, what are you supposed to do? Like, like, uh, I don't care about Public Enemy. I absolutely, definitely don't care about Alex Wright and Disco Inferno. Again, you've got 40,000 people. I don't, I just, next. Okay, well, next was Goldberg defeating the returning Scott Hall to retain the United States Heavyweight Championship and earn his way into the main event, uh, that man, uh, that match went a whole five minutes and 55 seconds. Okay, so I have... Now, at least we're getting to something that people actually give a crap about in terms of, you know, what's going on on the show. My issue with it is... Um, in the opening promo of the show... Hogan comes out first and he's talking about how, you know, this returning member, returning member doesn't name him. There's some mystique around it. And then they don't even make a big deal about it being Scott Hall. Now, again, I, I get it, right? Scott Hall at this point is a shell of what he was when he came to WCW. You could tell he's coming down the ramp. He's not in good shape at this point at all. Um, But like, at least, like, like you had Hogan come out and start the show with this, the, the mystery of who this person was going to be, and then you don't even sell it. Commentary doesn't sell it. Like, there's just, there's just, it's just, oh, it's Scott Hall. 
there's no there's no selling the return. There's there's no nothing. It's completely lifeless. It's well because it's they didn't want they didn't want Scott Hall back. Like yeah. this is Scott Hall coming back from rehab, and the yeah. only reason he's back is because of Kevin Nash. Yeah. Like Kevin was still giving him chances at this time. Yeah. And before he had washed his hands and Kevin has, you know, thankfully gotten better, not perfect, but has gotten better in the years since. But this was smack dab in the middle of Scott alcohol. Yeah. So. And, it, and there's a bad bump in this match early on when Goldberg kind of runs into Scott Hall like a train and Hall just kind of his whole body just hits the mat and you could tell he kind of rung his bell a little bit, but he was probably half in the bag. So it didn't matter again. This, uh, how do you care about this match? Again, you're trying to build that. Maybe finally Hogan has somebody that can stop Goldberg and, and prevent him. Like you're trying to make chicken out of chicken. You know what? And, Again, another a pointless roadblock for Goldberg. Five anybody... minutes, he, he rolls over him. There's no intrigue. There's no hype. There's you're, nobody's into it. It's just it's 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 done and it's over. Did anybody think that Goldberg was going to lose this match? No. And I think that was part of the big problem when WCW tried to do things like this and WWE too. It's it's bad on both sides, which is part of the reason why. And again, current time stuff aew did a heck of a deal with jericho and mjf a couple of weeks ago when mjf actually beat jericho by submission in yeah. the big build-up to that in that five labors of jericho deal yeah. leading up to all out like i and never knew. thought i i just threw the babies in the air when when jericho tapped out because that was not something i expected right but you still knew they were going to wrestle it all out right like, like you knew, okay, well, he lost the fifth one, but they're going to find a way to have a match anyway, right? Jericho's going to come out. He's going to give some sort of promo. He's going to trick him into it, whatever, whatever. But you knew, but you were still in that moment extremely surprised because you thought Jericho was going to win all five and then he was going to go on and they were going to do like a cage match or something all out. But yeah, like, I, again, expect, I expected Jericho to beat MJF and then MGF... MJF actually be the one to challenge Jericho again to put up his career as they're right. doing, or you know, something like that. So you can get my ha your hands on me one more time, you know, something along those lines. Yeah. So in this case, I mean, this would have been a great spot to debut a new member of the NWO. I, I don't know, but I don't have any good ideas on who it would be. Maybe another WWF defection. Maybe somebody who who was coming back from injury. But like, you see Scott Hall come out, and you're just like, oh well, this is completely pointless. I, I want no. I have no interest in this now. Like, it's going to be a typical Goldberg match. Why not? You know, have a hired gun or somebody you haven't seen a long time or at all. Right? You know, uh, the Giant or somebody. Like, like, it's just, again, there's so many other options. Again, this just seems like it, it's just lazy-ass booking. It makes no sense. It's like, again, and I've said it, I feel like, 40 times. 
You have 40,000 people and millions watching at home all because you said something stupid four days before. So it's like, but like now do something with it. But no. Well, it couldn't be the giant because he was busy here in a match or two. But uh, our next match was Hooventude Guerrera defeating Psychosis. Probably a good match. Three minutes and 17 seconds. Yes. Again, you could have let these guys go 10, 12 minutes. Um, got the crowd hot because you got absolute, the, just the drizzling shits coming after it. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but like, again, you're, you're literally, this whole show is one big giant dumpster fire. Uh, the, speaking of the giant, he defeated uh, Jim Duggan in oh. two minutes and ten seconds. My good, close personal, longtime friend, Jim, Dug- Jim Duggan. Hacksaw. Oh. Yeah. Still, uh, still getting a paycheck at this point. Oh yes, God bless him. He, he, he was wearing the shorts at this point too, right? Oh yeah, he would have been blue short Duggan at this point. Blue shorts Duggan. Oh. Well, yeah, because he still had a, a television championship to win. Because eventually Scott Hall wins the television championship and throws it out. And then a couple of weeks later, Duggan, who's now the janitor in the arena, in the completely different arena uh, where Saturday night is happening, finds the garbage can. That Hall dropped the belt in, picks it up, and becomes television champion because he got the belt out of the garbage. Out of the, yeah, that's that's when that's how you know your championship is prestigious as hell because you found it. Hacksaw Jim Duggan finds it in a trash can. Ho! Plus, he's got his Team Canada run yet to come too. That's right. Russo puts yeah. him, shaves his mustache, and gives puts him in Team Canada. Yeah, with somebody it. named Asia, I believe. No, sorry, Major Guns was in Team Canada in WCW. Yeah. Uh, DDP's in action against. Oh, he's got Carl Malone with him, and he defeats who? who? Well, I mean, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but it's Jim the Anvil Neidhart. Who? <laughs> the Anvil. Who? That went two minutes and 22 seconds. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. I mean, here's the thing. This was a match. I'm sure it was. It was. uh, uh... All right. Well, we'll move on to what surely could be, as Gorilla Matsu used to say, a main event in any arena, high school gym, Hockey rink, playyard, playground, prison in the country. Oh, yeah. It's the, listen to the star power in this match. On one side, being accompanied to the ring by Kevin Nash and K-Dog, the newest members of NWO Wolfpack, Lex Luger and Sting. And they had a hard fought win coming from behind, really. Like it was a match for the ages. Defeating 
that well-known tag team of Kidman and Sick Boy. And how long did it take them to do it? They must, I don't know how they got through it with the cramping. I really don't. They must have taken multiple commercial breaks for this match. It went 28 seconds. Conan's pre-match shtick took longer than the actual match. Did he ask you to peel his potatoes? Yes, he okay. did, yes. Yeah, his, pre- his, his pre-match his pre-match shtick lasted longer than the match. And the best part is he's still in the middle of it, and Kidman and Sick Boy are just walking to the ring. I'm like, what is even happening? Like, here's the thing. Like, maybe it's my old age, man. But, like, I can't see any stretch of the imagination where 16-year-old me was enjoying this show. Oh, God. Like, because I know 39-year-old me absolutely didn't like it. Like, again, right, I kind of sort of get it. This is one of the few matches. Okay, I'm going to try to say something nice about this show. Okay, here you go. Don't hurt yourself. This is actually one of the few matches that almost kind of sort of made sense. Big crowd, big names. You get, you get, you get Luger out there. You get Sting out there. You know, Nash, Conan, right? Yeah. Get the crowd a little pop. See some big names. Would I have liked to see the match go a couple minutes? Sure. But this is one of the ones, again, with a 40,000-person crowd on a Nitro, you got to have these guys in it. Same thing as you had to have DDP and Malone in the match before, right? So, like, this part of it, I don't absolutely 100% despise. I mean, sure, you're burying Billy Kidman and Sick Boy, but who friggin' cares? Like, you're getting the big names out. You're getting the crowd pop. You know, Luger and Sting are having fun in the Wolf Pack, which I think is ridiculous because Sting went from this super stoic character feuding with Hulk Hogan to now all of a sudden he's yucking it up with the Wolf Pack. I'm just like, it's so, like, unbelievable. Like, get rid of the face pain at least or something. But again, at least these last two matches are catering to the big live crowd and trying to get some pops. And went a total of about three minutes. Listen, I said I would say something nice, so I'm just going to stop. I didn't say I would say anything nice. I can't say anything nice about this show. I have a hard time saying anything nice about WCW from about 1990. Midnight, well, about this point on. Because after this, we get to the finger poke of doom. Russo's in not long after that. And then it's Mercy killed in twenty in two thousand and one. Yeah. So anyway, we'll get into that. I'm sure at some point. Um. So yeah. now uh, that Goldberg Hogan match, uh, once again, one for the ages, uh, goes eight minutes and eleven seconds. Uh. I, it's I I wrote poser match. I'm not sure exactly what that means. Power match is what it's supposed to be. Might as well have been a poser match. Uh, close, if you like clotheslines and headlocks, boy, do we have clotheslines and headlocks for you. In uh, about uh, eight minutes into this thing, Kurt Henning is coming down to, I'm thinking he's coming down, and he's just going to end both okay. Goldberg and Hogan. 
Yeah, okay, so I'm going to stop you right there because I this is where I've told you in the intro, I actually have issues with the match, and the Kurt Henning part is one of them. So, okay. number one, Hulk Hogan gets himself disqualified twice, and there's no disqualification. He uses his weightlifting belt across Goldberg's back in the ring, and Charles Robinson just takes it from him. Notice, now, at no point, were we told this was a no DQ match? I'd like to point oh, no, that out. Oh, no, but that's referee's discretion. Okay. So then Hogan hits Goldberg with a chair, not once, but twice, outside the ring in plain view of the ref. Like, so, I, again, if it was intended to be no disqualification, sure. Like, I, I just feel like, again, this is why I tend to think this was less of Hulk's idea because he clearly did not give a crap. Case in point, his hair. So he came to the ring. Hogan, typically, when he was wrestling, he would not wear the bandana to the ring because the bandana would leave crinks in his hair. But in this match, he wore the bandana the whole show and then he comes to the ring, he looks ridiculous. Because halfway down his skullet, there's a like there's a kink in it. Because of where so he looks stupid. Okay. Now, the Kurt Henning part is where I have my other problem. Because Hogan hits the leg drop and goes for the one, two, three, but instead of the camera. Focusing on what could potentially be Goldberg's first loss. We're watching Kurt Henning come down the ramp with nothing to do with anything. Putting his hands in the air. And then you go back to the ring and Goldberg get kicked out. What do you do? What are you doing? (laughs) If I'm not wrong, isn't that... Didn't Hogan hit two leg drops back to back at that point? Yeah. Yes, but I'm like, again, like, it's... Bad enough that we have horrible booking, horrible, um, you know, timing for the show, horrible business decisions being made. We have to add horrible production in there, too. Again, for the people watching at home, it, it was like that one moment is it ruins everything it, because, again, you you. The whole point of why you slow burn this and you book it out and you make it work is because you want to believe. You need to believe. At this point, Goldberg's 120-some, 130-some and 0. He's the United States champion. He's destroyed everybody. But Hulk Hogan is the god of wrestling. I don't care what anybody says. He still is at that point. He's the one guy that you need to believe could beat Goldberg. But you rush a storyline over four days, and when he finally hits the leg drops and goes for the one, two, three, instead of covering the fall, you got a camera stuck on Kurt Henning coming down to the ring to celebrate. So then, of course, in my head, Kurt right. Henning is coming down there, has watched this match uh, from the back, has said, I'm had enough, 
and is going to the ring to shoot like on both of these guys, pin one of them and become world champion. And then Carl Malone has decided decides to ruin that for everyone. Yes, hundred uh, percent. So yeah. Kurt Henning, so you're right. Kurt Henning comes down. Carl Malone comes out, hits the diamond cutter. Lenny, great Larry Sabisco line. He can use the diamond cutter. Yeah, we just watched it, Larry. Thanks, <laughs> Captain Obvious. So again, you're still. Now, here's the part I don't really understand because that still doesn't sell the main event of the pay-per-view because Kurt Henning has nothing to do with that, which I think maybe Rodman maybe was supposed to be at ringside here and and, and it would have been Rodman he hit the diamond cutter. Oh, there's on, no way Rodman's there's taken. no way, right? So, like, so Kurt Henning is, is fodder, I guess. So then Hulk Hogan is, is distracted by what's going on outside and then he turns around into the spear and the jackhammer, the the roof blows off the place. So here's the thing. All of this, I've been, again, I've been very, very negative and probably will continue to do so. But they got the reaction that they wanted. 40,000 people going bananas when Goldberg picked him up for the jackhammer. And then you had rolls of toilet paper coming out of the crowd, which I'm sure was indicative of how people felt because this this whole show should have just been flushed down the drain. But one, two, three, Bill Goldberg is your world champion on Nitro in front of 40,000 people six days before a pay-per-view that he wasn't scheduled to be on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, makes I perfect mean, sense to me. Again, it's just... We have the glory of hindsight, but like, I, there's nothing about this that makes any sense. This was a business that panicked, and you know, it, it's funny. It, it in I had this same discussion in, in with a guy a couple weeks ago about something that was happening in a in a community that we're part of online community not wrestling related but something else and you know we had a discussion about how you know things get intense but the first person to panic and make a mistake is always the person who loses and again whatever the circumstances were that went into this this was because you're right right the 83 weeks had ended in april so we're several months after that. WWF has some good momentum building, right? They've got Austin on top now. You know, they've got Undertaker and Mankind doing crazy stuff. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're about to get the rock unleashed, you know, uh, on the world, right? We're, we're heading down yeah, the tri- highway to hell pay-per-view. You know, we, we Summer got Slam tri- at, yep. at MSG. Right, you know, Shawn Michaels is going to be back in the, in the picture, title picture, right? Because with Bret Hart, um, you know, at the Survivor Series that year. So, you know, the WWF is starting to get some momentum. So whatever circumstances went into this, it was, it was panic. And whenever you have a, a, a war, a battle between two sides, the first person to panic is always the side that loses. And that's exactly what happened. This... This was a panic decision that WCW never recovered from. You had, like I laid out earlier, three solid months of booking ahead that you could parlay this into. You know, 
do your celebrity match at Bash at the Beach. Do your celebrity match at Road Wild. Go to the War Games. Have your warrior moment with Goldberg and Hogan. And then you're off to the races. And you're filling every building. Everybody's watching. Because, again, you know, WCW fans just wanted to see Goldberg get to that point. But you had to make the wait. You had yeah you had to make them wait. This was just done, and now it's like okay, well, what the hell do we have to cheer for anymore? I guess we'll, we'll keep on we'll keep on the Goldberg loses. Well, and he did coming up at Starcade. The undefeated streak ended at an official count of one hundred and seventy three and zero. And after one hundred and seventy four days as champion, when he lost the title to Kevin Nash. After Scott Hall, disguised as a ringside security guard, made a run-in, and this is real life, these are actual English words put together in a sentence, shocked Goldberg with a taser gun. Yeah. I mean, not gonna lie. Uh, here's the thing. I don't hate the taser part. Because, but, but, he, but the reason why, and that this is a whole other show, but how, at that point, how else were you going to beat Goldberg? Again, that's where the only believable guy that they had to beat him was Hogan. And you pissed that away now. There's no coming back from that. You could have done the whole Hogan thing. Maybe Goldberg beats him by DQ the first time, right? You know, whatever. And then that leads to them wrestling in a steel cage or something. And Goldberg goes over and it's crazy. Again, because you gave away the chase, there was nobody else that was believable that could beat Bill Goldberg. Kevin Nash was not. Yes, he's seven foot tall, but it, he wasn't and you believable. you can't teach that, that. That's right. And this right here. This is Scott Hall, and he knows how to use a taser, and you can't teach that. Bada boom, 173 and one. How you doing? Like, yes. but like, but, but really, right? It's just, again, everything that happened after this was a reaction to this Nitro. It was a great, I'm sure, for a one night thing on a Nitro, they did amazing ratings. They did a great gate. They made a million bucks at the gate. They it's probably it is the highest grossing nitro they ever had. One of the best ratings they ever had. The segment at the end, I think, did like a 6.4, uh, which was roughly almost 10 million homes. So again, everybody wanted to watch it. In the vacuum that it was in, it was great. But in the grand scheme of things, it was the beginning of the end because they had nowhere to go. Everything that WCW did after this Nitro was a reaction to it. There was no foresight. There was no forethought. There was nowhere for them to go. And it was just, again, they were screwed. They were completely screwed because they gave away the one thing everybody wanted to see. And they had no idea what to do next. For more information on that Starcade and what happened the next night on Nitro which was the finger poke of doom, check the archives. And you can do that at our website at ringsiderewind.com. You can check us out on Twitter as well at ringside rewind. 
uh, on Facebook.com slash Ringside Rewind. I am at C.D. Lawrence, and he is at Snaggle J. I'm going to try to compose myself for the outro Let's Get it here, together. Let's get I'm going to gonna try to get it. Listen, despite my surliness in this episode, we appreciate you guys listening. I'm sure Chris is going to give me a, a scolding afterwards for being so negative, but that's fine. Hey, we love y'all. We hope you guys enjoyed the episode. If you're listening over at ringsiderewind.com or your podcast app of choice on Android or iOS, we greatly appreciate you. Follow us again, like Chris mentioned. Hey, remember, listen, hit us up on the TikTok. TikTok, Ringside Rewind. We're going to do some stupid stuff over there. We've got some big plans. Listen, you ain't seen nothing yet. We've got some big plans for the brand. We're taking things to, to, to new heights here in the second half of 2021. We're glad you guys are on board. Thank you guys so much for being great. Again, check us out, ringsiderewind.com, podcast app of choice on Android or iOS. And until next time. Okay, I want everybody else to kind of just stop for a second, and I just want to talk to Snaggle. Just just, just the two of us. Everybody just just pause, just go away for uh, like 30 seconds and then come back to hear me hit the line that you know everybody wants to hear. Um, do you think maybe our next show should be a Brian Danielson show? No particular reason. Is that is that? Do I know who that is? Uh, uh, he Daniel Bryan. Oh, but, we we did it. We did a WrestleMania about him, didn't we? Yeah, yeah there were there was a WrestleMania about him, but mm-hmm. I don't know why. I just kind of get the feeling that maybe maybe we do another one. Yeah, I mean, I, I really think for absolutely no particular reason, it sounds like it might be time we do another Brian like, Danielson match. I, I maybe not. Like it might have to be the after the. Our, it'll be our next show, which would be after All Out. But yeah, I'm, I'm for no I'm particular all reason. In. Yeah, I'm all in on doing another Danielson match. Yeah, I think it would be a very elite show. It could be an all elite show. It, it could be the elite. Yeah, it 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 yeah. could be. Yeah, it, it, it. You know what? That show might be so good it might hit an all elite Grand Slam. I think it, you know what, listen, one thing about Brian Danielson is he usually brings all the young bucks out to the podcast because he's got a rather younger following. So that's usually good. We get some more millennials that listen to the show. So that'll be good. Yeah, I know. Um, some, some, just some Gen some Gen Xers and stuff in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Listen, yeah. I think. And apparently I, he's, got I, a I sh- think, he's got a shtick. And we have to be that we have to be patient yeah. for. You know what? I think that's a great idea, baby. Okay. Yeah. No, no particular reason. Yeah, no, no, no. No. Be kind and rewind.